0: All right. I'm here with a very special guest uh, who is an expert in, I think, some of the issues around uh, generative AI licensing. My name is Noah Gift, and uh, I've been doing this podcast for a bit. And I'm also an O'Reilly author. I've written, I think, five books for O'Reilly and uh, have a pretty good understanding of the tech world. But uh, I think it would be nice to have a different perspective about some of the very complex issues with uh, generative AI and do and you, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Sure, so thanks for having me. Um, I work in digital strategy and concept development uh, at a Scandinavian consultancy. Um, I've been in in and out of tech for uh, 20 years and in, in between I've been uh, uh, working in publishing and licensing. So kind of both navigating the, the world of creative content production and that sort of thing and uh, building data-driven businesses, and I think what's happening now is is very much in the intersection of the two. And there's, I find myself standing in sort of two sides of some of the battle lines uh, in what's going on right now. So I'm trying to do my bit in in uh, educating and maybe getting people on the, the up to some basic level in terms of uh, licensing and property rights and and the business side of what's going on right now as well.
0: Yeah, I think I think a a, a big thing that technical people are, are are often unaware of are the implications of the technology. I, I know I've been in the tech world for a while, and you know I teach students who are entering the tech world, and I think it's very seldom do you even talk about you know you're going to use some technology. What does that actually mean? How does mm-hmm. it affect society? It's very rare. But this is a very special one, I think, in that it would be interesting, I think, to many people to hear, like, you know, why are people upset about what's happening? Because I, in my opinion, I think there's a very legitimate concern. And I think many people are just so enamored with like, oh, look, a new thing, you know, (laughs) we can use this new technology. I don't think they really understand. Some of the concerns I, I think that would be a great thing to s- set the stage with
1: yeah so um i guess let's start with the big news today right the, the, one of the vps of stability ai uh resigned uh, very publicly so um and uh, citing like his he has a, a conscientious objector against the way that tech companies present what they want to do in terms of property rights and so on so that there, there was this Huge request for comments process. The USCO uh, they got nearly ten thousand comments from everyone, from big tech companies to individual artists, and so on. On where should we go with AI and IP? And the the range of uh, like comments in there is everything from uh, people having suddenly become a creative voice using these new tools and thinking, "Wow, I." I made what came out of this system, and I should have the moral rights and the commercial exploitation rights to it. That's one big voice. Um, and there's uh, rights holders who have been kind of hammering on the same point since the debates around text and data mining exceptions in back in 2018, 2019, saying there are serious market impacts from this technology. Like, we, we see loss of income. We see loss of opportunity. And we see our own work and our own names being used against us in the marketplace uh, using these technologies. So really calling for licensing and regulation. And then you have the big tech companies who basically use any excuse in the book to say that this is fair. We, we should be allowed to do whatever with uh, content that we found on the internet. And they cite all sorts of reasons. And I think that, so what the, this Stability AI VP, I forget his name now, he said, well, I I can't stand for what Stability's official songbook says. According to the songbook, the the computer learns like a person, uh, so everything we do is fair use. Um, And there's something called the four factors of fair use. uh, And we've seen this kind of tested in court various times this year in, in the US. Um, And one of the most important principles is how does this technology affect the market of the underlying work? Uh, And that's where it stops being fair to him. That's the one he pointed to. Like, uh, if we introduce music generation machines, uh, this severely impacts the market for your musicians. Uh, So it can't be fair use. And the reason for him speaking up was that he's also a classical composer, right? So he has that background and understanding for Uh, for that side of thing and knows what it takes to actually make it in that field and what sort of training and investment and passion that goes into producing music and how that's being exploited by these companies. And what's interesting also is that Stability AI approached music actually quite cautiously from a rights and licensing point of view compared to what they do to uh, written material and to images. Uh, because, and, and that has to, a lot to do with the concentration of power within the music industry. So there's the big five of Universal Music and those who have quite mature licensing systems and uh, quite a big say. And when you look at kind of the previous uh, tech shift with the big platforms, Web 2.0, YouTube, and, and that sort of thing, a lot of those uh, like user generated content platform. They built in uh, copyright protection, IP protection by design from the get go. Uh, Imperfectly, but still, it was a design consideration. Um, And if you look at Spotify, that has very similar roots to some of these companies today. They started out basically taking uh, MP3 pirate collections and using that as a a, a business asset, putting that in a streaming service on the market um and then figuring out licensing uh they went to these big five and they say hey we have this much better way of consuming and distributing music over here that saves a lot of money compared to shuffling plastic discs around (laughs) uh and they say you you get a piece of our business to these five and doing that kind of laid the groundwork uh, because all the smaller artists kind of just had to to run with it right um and that's similar to what we see also now like that there's but the, <laughs> the big difference is they respected the rights of at least the big content players right they saw them as business partners and they took them in the difference here is they they just run with it uh and there's been negotiations uh you now open tried to find some negotiation deal not, uh, not some licensing deal with uh the big newspapers and the big uh, book publishers and uh it kind of they couldn't see eye to eye so only after failing to find some business arrangement they went to court and now that whole thing is going on right uh so yeah so, so I, I guess stability guy he came from a background of a mature licensing system around creative content right and a concentrated power Around that licensed content, and if you look to publishing and if you look to art, it's much more dispersed. So the uh, and so and the, the way to that Spotify then kind of started licensing from smaller artists is they they said we can't possibly find all these people. We don't know who to pay. We don't have it. Is we have this blob of content and get people to subscribe and pay a monthly fee. Um, and they used class action lawsuits uh, basically to find their uh, their suppliers. <laughs> the, through the courts, they found uh, who who wants to get paid when we do this. And then they sort of took it from there and they reached some sort of licensing arrangement with all the the smaller uh, players within the music industry. Um so that's um, yeah, that that's a little bit of of background. yeah, it's I- very messy and rambling no no I, th- I
0: think i think there's a very very good like setup to uh some some of the issues here in that you know if you look at there's a there's a uh study that was done i think it was university of pennsylvania a, a couple of professors uh created a um a, a publication called the regulatory entrepreneurship yeah and inside of this publication i think we've discussed this before offline is that that the, the premise is actually pretty straightforward in terms of the way the tech companies work is that they actually find lucrative markets where there's actually uh, you know laws and people are abiding by those laws and then they intentionally break the law so they do illegal things And then they uh, are able to have an advantage over this over over the really the competitors, because they're playing by the rules, right? They they're in the case of uh, the taxi industry is a classic example of this Mm -hmm. that you had to buy in some cases a taxi medallion that could be maybe a million dollars. So let's say you're immigrant to the United States and you think that, hey, this is a good strategy. You know, I can I can, you know, do follow the laws in the United States and maybe even you're required to follow the laws. I don't know all of the logistics around, you know, keeping your citizen status, but I believe there's some severe penalties if you. You know, even do misdemeanors, etc. So, you're mm-hmm. immigrant. You're following the law. You put your life savings into it. You, mm-hmm. even if you wanted to break the law and compete, you you could get basically deported. And, and so there's there's these uh, real issues with, uh, you know, people losing quite a bit of money from the tax from the the companies like Uber and Lyft because they came in and just didn't follow the law. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of evidence about this. How they were able to, you know, give false promises of, well, we're going to get self-driving cars and we're going to reduce pollution and we're going to pay people more money and we're going to have safer taxis. Mm-hmm. Turns out that the majority of what they said has been demonstra- demonstratively, demonstratively mm-hmm. proven incorrect. Is mm-hmm. that yeah. none of those things actually happen? So this is a really a pattern you see. And it's just repeated over and over again with uh, venture capital tech companies. And in fact, mm. the the leader of this, which is interesting, uh, has been Y Combinators, you know, by by any stretch of the imagination ha, is, I think, the most popular incubator. And mm. the, the CEO, the first one was Paul Graham, a pretty famous person on Twitter, very famous libertarian as well. Uh, you know, of course, I've noticed a lot of libertarians have uh, Harvard degrees. And we also, if we look at Harvard, we we know that it's a pay to play system, right? Like there's actually quite a bit of evidence that extremely wealthy people mm. go to the elite school. So, you know, I guess it's easy to be a libertarian if you're born rich and you have the highest degree from the most elite, you know, university in the world, it's easy to say, hey, there should be no rules, right? Um, but
1: but... Yeah, I mean, there, in, there are some. I mean, if, if we look at the paper, regulatory entrepreneurship, it really captures exactly the playbook of how why Combinator and and similar, how they do things over and over. Uh, what's interesting, I think, about the paper, it, it doesn't really take any moral stance about it. It says uh, the, the, this is plain observation. This is how it goes, uh, and they even go. I think into some of the moral justifications with which i mean there's some merit to it because they say here's a technology that's so revolutionary it changes the game hence normal rules don't apply uh we need to figure out uh the 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 rules as we go so let's go ahead you know move fast and break things and figure out uh later and that's uh, and and uh, I think what we keep seeing is the moving fast and breaking things eventually, the timeless principles and the rest of society catches up, right? Uh, and there's this the ethos of like the business is really fast and law is slow, and haha, look at the EU. they, they get bogged down in regulation, so they lose.' But <laughs> that's sort of the how how it goes, right? the story. Uh, and the thing is, is like a legal system is very deliberately designed to be very slow-moving, slow-changing, uh, to give thoughtful consideration to like what are the timeless principles here, like what what is the, the calibrated balance between elements in society, right? Uh, we can't just go changing law on a whim because then nobody will know how to act in on the market or in society at large, right? Um, and so when you look at the the principles that kind of underpin uh, intellectual property law they're the same since 125 years and they survived the talkies and the cd burners and the mp3 players and the streaming and and the, and, and the principles are really simple and that they're, and they're kind of built into the founding founding documents of of most nations like i think it's 193 nations agreed on a framework of well, the, it's uh, you have your right to life, liberty, and property, right? That's a, a basic, <laughs> very basic, and it's, it's part of the constitution in the U.S. and the EU Charter, and and then you have the UN Charter of the Human Rights, which basically say that you can't kill, you can't enslave, you can't steal. That's basically what it says, right? Um, and then the rest is kind of there's a lot of interpretation, a lot of moving parts on top of it. But the basic idea is if you made something you own it right that's extremely basic and if you want to make money off of someone else's property you ask first and you compensate them that's like super super simple um and and so i think the the play here is to kind of move so fast that people get a bit disoriented on what first of all like what what rights do i have people don't go go about thinking about their rights so much on a day-to-day basis right they don't go what what did the constitution say again about like? and then it's a matter of, of figuring out this very complicated technology and which the tech companies explain deliberately obtusely or kind of frame things in a way that that suits their interests and then everyone else has to go what hey wait a minute where did we go from somebody put my stuff on the internet to you get to use it against me on the market like what what happened in between (laughs) um so yeah and and i think that's the the catching up is happening but uh, it's really a race and i think there's this idea within Tech that you can sort of out, outrun your own exhausts in some way. Like if you get enough uh, power to take off, you can just leave everything behind and uh, go live in, on Mars or on your yacht or something, right? Uh, and, the, and the suckers get left behind. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's the Yeah,
0: yeah it is. I, and I think it's it's interesting because it, the, the same people are often at the center of this so i there's something in the tech world called the paypal mafia which Mm -hmm. was the original founders of paypal elon musk uh reed hoffman uh max i think levin if that's how you pronounce him and then maybe also there was uh peter thiel i don't know Uh. if i mentioned him And, and so some of these people they they all preach very similar things which is which is basically blitz scale move you know go fast and and what we're seeing though is that if you realistically look at the history of many of the the great success stories in tech i think you look at it in a hindsight and say "Eh, was this really that good like for example airbnbs i think a very good one as well where i've lived next to airbnbs before where it was just a living hell like we we were living in a, a very expensive property in the bay area and next door, it was an illegal Airbnb. Hmm. And they had, you know, bikers come and peel out the driveway and all these strange things. And it's illegal. Like the the zoning of the city says you cannot put a hotel in my neighborhood, right? It's not no. zoned for commercial use. Right. It, right and right. and the, the platform doesn't care. Right. Like, you know. And so no, I think that's that's quite, the, that's the yeah. thing, is they, they get to play both sides, right? They get to c- create the profit from you know all of these these things but then if there's a a negative externality they just pretend it doesn't exist
1: right right it's a external externality denying uh capitalism at its finest and 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 also it's about eroding the local tax base right if you look at amazon in, in the eu for instance i think they they make something like 50 billion per year and pay zero taxes in the EU, like buying and selling stuff and then not paying back, basically, and and that's a, yeah, it's it's a real issue. And they're very powerful companies. So, and I, I think a lot of it comes down to to size and, and deregulation. like the, and so the antitrust action going on is under Biden is the first in many many years where we we don't like keep. Removing antitrust, we've kind of gone as far as you can, I think. Now we see starting to see some action towards breaking up some of these behemoths, right? Uh, but it's it's um, it's going to be a long road, and they have a lot of influence and a lot of power in just like moving capital and people around uh, across national borders. So the power balance between nation states and and large companies is. is a bit out of whack as well i would say
0: <laughs> yeah if you i i think uh, if you look at some of the there's very rare actually to have a billion dollar companies that pay taxes and one of the few is actually a company called bet 365 i was just listening to a podcast and you know i'm not a fan of gambling i think it's not great for society but it's shocking when you ha- find out that actually a company is decides to stay somewhere and pay the taxes. So that's one of the one <laughs> few examples is that it, it's you know in the UK there, But it's so it's so rare for a company to pay taxes that you, you, you it's even something that you you discuss. And the thing you mentioned as well about the um, the consolidation of power, you know, one of the things that happened in the Obama administration was that uh, Facebook had uh the ability to buy Instagram and WhatsApp. And that, to be honest, was really a tragedy for the world. And we see that there's many instances of the uh tech company then making money off of spreading uh misinformation. Mm. There, there's you know credible uh you know instances of you know uh genocide right that have, have occurred mm. uh you know i think they're still still being researched and and these kinds of things really are much more possible when there's consolidation because you're able to reach a global audience but then again the negative externality is that if you live in a country where the a a corporation like meta is monetizing the traffic but they don't yet have the uh, human moderation you, again you're pushing the negative or, or externality yeah. so it feels like there's there's actually a very clear pattern uh, amongst all tech companies doing the same thing they move fast they make a ton of money they get all this power and then they also uh lie about how advanced the technology will be and how great it's going to help humanity and then later the rest of the world is is left to pick up the pieces and with generative AI uh-huh. it, i do think it's a it's a great technology i think some of the things that you can do with it like summarization outlining you know coding assistant i think they're great but the question is why do we have to go zero to evil instantly that's that's i think the real million dollar question
1: yeah yeah and i think that as soon as the stability guy resigned today there was offers from other ethical AI startups, they they do exist, and also uh, there's like a, a data market, and like people actually licensing and making good training data sets for AI developers to use. And uh, I, I I think he'll have no problem finding his next employer. But the thing is, that it's a cutthroat competition between these behemoths. Like they, it's a they, they they run their data centers uh, into the ground. they, they Run at the loss uh, until nobody else can keep up, and if you compete against someone who pays nothing for the raw material, you're at a disadvantage from the get-go. Right? It, it's really hard to compete on an unregulated in an unregulated space and be ethical. Ethical. You need a legal system to back you up um, and to correct those imbalances. Right? Uh, so it's it's really a race to the bottom dynamic uh, between these tech behemoths Italy, like competing internally uh so it, I, I really look forward to, to seeing these developments now where we see international uh, partnerships between states forming around like what's the code of conduct within the g7 countries for instance uh like the, there's an agreement on some set of of playing rules to to adhere to, right? If you want to sell to all of the Americans your amazing new AI service, you have to abide by this and this and this. And it's coming along. And it's moving, I mean, for being anything regulatory, it's developing really, really fast, I would say. Um, But there's a long prehistory of uh, kind of debating this and going back. I mean, a lot of people who are, Really into shaping the EU regulation, let's say, an EU AI Act and the TDM exceptions and the Digital Single Market Directive and all that. Some of those could easily see the trajectory to here, but most people, like it, we, we got blindsided by the development. Right, it it, it was like a truck from <laughs> straight behind. The, for, about a year ago, it suddenly went from being a fun toy to something that kind of could outcompete uh, a lot of things um and and add a lot of new value so so, yeah
0: yeah i i think that the the key issue for organizations for developers is something i call ethical weighting where Mm -hmm. if you were an let's say you were the the it leader in a company or you're the cio or something like that i think most people have heard of the concept of vendor selection right where you know you you always have to get two bids or three bids for mm-hmm. like a piece of hardware and what i i find to be very shocking is that many organizations they just hear a word oh chat gbt oh yeah sure let's go right and, is that that's not vendor selection right is that that could be one of the ways that you could in a very low stress and not a a complicated way start to look at the problem more deeply so the topic that I think is an important topic is ethical weighting, which is if you're a CIO of a company, you don't just buy the first server, right? You compare it, you get another bid. Similarly with uh, Gen AI companies, at least if, even if you don't want to get deep into the issues, you should always compare a second company and look mm. at the structure. So for example, in the case of OpenAI, you know, there's a lot of concerns like the leadership seems maybe not well perceived publicly. There's some lawsuits. It looks like they're pirating data. You know, they publicly seem like they're okay with that. They say it's fair use. But then you have people that left OpenAI and created a competitor that has a public benefit structure. So it's not just hand-waving, they have it. And mm. they also, if you ask, uh, you know, Anthropic, they explicitly say inside of the chatbot, we do not believe in pirating data. So there's actually a very clear difference. Now, th- maybe they're doing some things that I don't like in the future, so I'm not gonna say they're perfect, but that would be a good example of saying, I can at least compare another option. So I think that's a very easy place for people to start. Yeah, for sure. And
1: as, uh, if you look at Stanford and uh, doing the transparency index thing, right there, where they compare uh, foundation model vendors uh, i know a dozen of them or so on a dozen or so parameters and it's things like data governance and, and data transparency and so on and so forth so uh, and uh, that's as to to my knowledge started out as looking at how in how far are you ready for the coming probably coming ai act in the eu right so they you they had all the parameters from there in terms of coming regulation essentially um, and then they they ranked them and uh, as if I recall correctly from this summer the the best of them was Bloom. Uh, they had the, and they, they had like a two-thirds score that that was like the top of the line in terms of uh, how well they scored uh um, but and i've seen some criticism against their scoring methodology and so on but at least there's someone doing that thing right so helping vendors seeing at least okay so who are the players available and how do they stack up and then you can sort of go and pick maybe the two or three that you i mean it's this just a lot of job in uh, also in doing vendor selection right so, uh, but at least you have the long list and then you can do your short list and then and go from there um then again i mean for anthropic uh they're backed by amazon right so uh th- let's see where that goes
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i i mean i think i think this is this is the thing that's you know uncomfortable about tech is that it, and this is why i came up with this concept of ethical waiting is that you're going to be looking for a long time to find purity <laughs> right and 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 it's there's you know there's so many problems with mm. tech companies that i think the only possible way you can solve the problem is mm. to always compare right and say yeah, yeah. that look i may not like this other company but i'll, I'll call them neutral right like mm. they're not great but they're not bad or or they're at least you know moderate in terms of the the the, the good outweighs the bad and they neutralizes but I think yeah. the only thing you can do is to is try to do these comparisons
1: yeah and, the, and there are some good frameworks like the ai ethics institutes and and also within the public purchasing there are some good frameworks on how you might approach the how to to compare them uh true cost accounting for instance is one of them like where you look at not only the business you look at the, the the market perspective the societal perspective, perspective and the environmental perspective uh, and the, and you at least map out what are your most in, like, important concerns in each of those uh, dimensions and then you can kind of rank the the uh, the companies and in as far as they're transparent like in as, in as far as you can find out uh, so so you start out with um, like the what what are our environmental and social goals what are what what's our code of conduct what what does the company want to be in and in how far do do they match those things
0: well Um, well yeah and I I would say uh, since I I I work with universities mm -hmm. I know a lot of universities are actually starting to look into this so they're Mm -hmm. they're they're doing due diligence they're saying okay we know we need to use generative AI we want to help with students, we we want to do this stuff. And my advice to universities has been to be very similar, which is, you know, I think there's a higher bar, right, for nonprofits, universities, where y- you really do need to be careful, because if your brand is got a very good reputation, for example... Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we can look at the classic example in the last several months, which is FTX, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at someone who had an incredible reputation in the United States, which was Larry David, he was very funny, like a very funny, um, you know, comedian. And he, he, you know, wrote Seinfeld as an amazing uh, show on HBO. But in fact, he now is co-branded with, I think potentially the worst um, con artists in our generation, right. In terms of the, the value stolen and embezzled Mm -hmm. from FTX, right. He's been convicted, right. So we can say that he's a convicted embezzler. And and so like, if you rush into a relationship, like for example, with a generative AI company and and you have, and you have, you haven't really done the due diligence and then Mm -hmm. you're co-branded and you're on their website there could be severe uh, repercussions.
1: Yeah, for, for sure, it hurts your brand equity if you're a big company as well, right? And uh, and your, your your public standing. So so there's, uh, I mean, it's not just public institutions. Anyone needs to be cautious. And and when I look at the kind of emerging guidelines for large corporations and and how to approach, it's usually a lot about cyber risk and cybersecurity and those kind of an IP, but from the perspective of if we roll this out to our employees and they upload the wrong thing and it, it gets away that that's that seems to be the the key concern Um uh, but i mean any large company needs to do a comprehensive multi-dimensional due diligence before jumping into a bed with with a new vendor like this and especially seeing as it, i mean potentially it will be a very close collaboration, very business-critical. If you roll out Chat GPT to all of your employees, they're kind of a trusted daily voice that you keep giving information all the time, right? They're really tied up closely into your your uh, uh, the communication and the information flows within your company. So you really need a trusted partner. Uh, both from having the staying power in the market, uh, but also kind of in in having all the processes and the the, the legal side in order.
0: Well, yeah, I I actually, it's a good point you bring up, and I've actually been giving some advice on this as well, is that there actually could be uh, a severe legal risk to using generative AI in cloud providers because it tempts your employees into revealing sensitive information that could be illegal to distribute. So for example, if you're at the university system in the United States, there's something called FERPA, if I remember correctly, where it's illegal to share student data, right? Mm. You, you cannot do it. You cannot like if if I took a quiz from a student and I put it on a website, there's severe uh repercussions for that. So mm. likewise, if you're putting the student data into a system that is actually, uh, you know, basically then later leaks mm. or, or, or it's used in a way that is against the regulation, you, you're you mm. actually introducing uh, your your university to a very big risk. Likewise with uh, health, right? You're a hospital and uh, you, someone gets access to it because there's a license and they start putting the health data in, in there uh, that could be illegal, right? There, there's, there's regulations ar- around that, and so this, this is actually opens up a, a kind of a, another area that we could talk about, which is that many corporations and and, and nonprofits should potentially consider if they are going to use generative AI to think about ones that are local and open source and transparent. So that's right. actually very different than the the commercial offerings, because if you wanted to analyze, let's say let's say that you were writing a system that wanted to summarize all of the notes from a physician, mm. you wanted to you know create some kind of you know uh, annotation or whatever you it may be again it may may be illegal to to do this with a you know depending on where you're at with a commercial tool, but if it was local and actually you were able to look at the the ethical sourcing of the data you Mm. know you you're able to you know maybe tune it a little bit you actually could do something like that and Mm. so if you're going all in on a solution that is basically opening yourself up to litigation that Mm. also
1: doesn't seem like a good strategy right no and, and a lot of this is so much uh specific to ai right it's it's about uh, uh, your cloud strategy basically where where do i keep my stuff is it on-prem is it in a in secure mountain room <laughs> or is it overseas <laughs> and and how does it get overseas and uh, who gets to pry on, along the way and over there uh and there was this huge scandal a couple of years ago where microsoft were thrown out of the city of stockholm because they they couldn't Kind of safeguard the personal information of the, the municipal employees, uh, they were over in, in some cloud under the, jury, the jurisdiction where they had no control, right? Um, so, I think it, generally people are very unaware where their data goes, and uh, this technology, as you kind of allude to, it's it's um, it invites trust, right? It's a speaking partner, and the, it's very easy to slip in a way, and it's so convenient. Like what if I upload this code snippet to get a, a quick rewrite, right? How how bad could it be? Um and and I think so and, and there's also the aspect of there's not really much data points needed before you can identify someone, right? That's that's another aspect of this. It's might not even be about the data you send, it might be a, a, about pattern on how you send data that might be the meta aspect that reveals the identity of someone or some sensitive like if you're a government employee working in some high security Mm -hmm. think just knowing your day-to-day patterns or your family situation right or your political affiliation. there's so many things that you can find out about a person that's compromising right um and this is yet another way to casually by accident dropping the wrong data in the wrong place right
0: (laughs) yeah i I think one thing that i've been saying to people over the last several years is that you need to have a divide by factor so if you if you look at uh some of the big names like elon musk is a a good one to pick on where you know for i think almost a decade he said self-driving cars will happen next year
1: Oh yeah, I mean, a, next, a great super yeah. compilation on YouTube.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's a good example where mm-hmm. I don't know what you would divide then everything he says by a hundred, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, I mean, I think you have to pick pick, you know, what what the den- denominator is. Likewise, mm-hmm. if we look at Airbnb, um, Uber, uh, and I've talked to a lot of people. I know a lot of people that I've, you know, casually had conversations. I won't say who they are, but like very high level people that said, "Yeah, everything we said was not true." right <laughs> like well self, yeah like eh, yeah yeah wasn't true turns out didn't work out we, we created more pollution
1: right. right we
0: created more traffic all the things that we said that we were going to do just didn't work out and so so then yeah what do you divide by so they said this divide so likewise we're uh, yet again or, or airbnb like it's causing uh you know homelessness globally and it's directly linked right that's why cities are banning airbnbs mm. right the, so now, now we have generative AI tools, and what are they promising? Right, you know, Nirvana, AGI, all the stuff. Well, what do we divide by? I would say yeah. probably
1: a hundred. I would say yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good starting point, I think. And uh, I mean, it's, uh, there was a, a betting pool among uh, as may I like to top people, and the, the scale is from. AGI in three years to never, right? It's, it's impossible to guess, even among the experts that disagree, right? Um, and, and, and I think that what we really should question is well, why are we more concerned about future potentiality and future harm than actually looking at the real world impacts today, day right <laughs> uh, there's, there's so much looking to the stars so like yeah we'll go to mars and whatever but well, it's have... a good it's a good distraction to to to
0: cover for the fact that you're doing illegal mm-hmm. things
1: yeah you have your Skynet doomsday scenarios and your sentience claims and blah 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 that's it's really engaging it's fun it's interesting sci-fi stories right to, to but yeah, and I think like Jaron Lanier and a the, the, the few others like him, they there are some good voices out there that kind of point to this as well. Here's a priesthood; uh, they claim to be the the one true interpreter of the coming higher power or the present higher power, and we shouldn't question their decisions because they know what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's it's a really a, a means of ex- exercising power, like to it, it stay above. The fray and say well we we're leave it to us we understand this yeah and, uh,
0: exactly i agree, really I, agree really brave. <laughs> I mean as someone who grew up in america and was exposed to a lot of um, religion in my life mm-hmm. that i i think the easy thing to do to have power over people is to is to create these mystical things that mm-hmm. you know i can do to you if you don't follow what i say right like you know the easy way to control someone is well if you don't do what i say imagine the most horrible thing that could ever happen and yeah. you'll be there
1: forever so yeah. do what i say right <laughs> It's, a, it's a, right so totally it, yeah it, and, and i mean this and there's uh, this relation to technology at large where you kind of it's really intimate to our daily lives and we know all the bad shit we've done that ended up online and they're kind of nagging at us like oh wh- what if and you you tend to kind of clump together all of the tech into a big blob <laughs> anything i might have put on the internet might come back to bite me if i kind of poke the bear <laughs> um, mm. so i think there's yeah nothing ever goes away and it'll catch you eventually so that they have that kind of leverage and I, I think it was uh madman stack of stability who said that uh we, we can we can get behind your firewall or something like that there's a famous tweet by him when they talk about the the lack i think it was about the lack of quality training data or something and i said well we can always if you're smart you can get behind the firewall wow. <laughs> so there's this uh looming threat of you know we're everywhere we're in all of your devices that's also there right
0: wow yeah Yeah, i i think i think really if you know the 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 action items which i think it's easy to complain about some of the technical stuff but i think some of the action items would be that you know you should it's irresponsible to not do a comparison when you use new technologies Mm -hmm. second i think is also irresponsible to not do a divide by right you of course we need to embrace new things and new technologies that's what i've done my entire life But it's irresponsible to not have a divide by and then also it's important to to look at the historical uh perspective of the united states so i think the book by um thomas uh piketty is a very good uh explanation of the last you know 100 years of america where at one point america was doing pretty well and europe was you know there's massive income inequality because there was royalty But we've actually swapped now the income inequality in america is worse than when people were uh basically serfs you know living on the lands of of the royals and Mm. so i think you can't necessarily completely take that out of what's really going on which is that there's actually a redistribution of wealth to the most elite uh, wealthy people in america and so why wouldn't they do that globally as well right that's really the philosophy is is a what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine as well
1: yeah yeah and that's i think people are getting shortchanged over and over in terms of not understanding the the true kind of value bargain going on like oh i get this shiny thing for free and then you the, find out several years later you've given them all your data and they probably spent way more hours of your life mindlessly scrolling or buying shit you don't need <laughs> uh, and and people we, we're we kind of dumb we're just monkeys right and, and uh uh the, it's so easy to push the buttons and and we kind of i i think it's tristan harris harris who says this thing about like we're we're in this chess game for our own attention against a million times stronger computer than that one that beat Kasparov, right? That's so we're on the losing end of our attention game, like all the time. Uh, but but also like with Chat GPT, it's it's a convenience, right? That's what gets us. It's so convenient <laughs> to use the thing, so we start using it for more and more and more stuff and uploading more and more and more. Uh, and then. T- turning a blind eye to what we lose in the process right uh, totally forgetting about the time spent and the, the data spent like for, for instance uh we got the paywall for facebook uh the other week um like to, you get so you're not allowed to profile eu citizens to the dis- extent that they do to sell you personalized ads anymore uh, so what Facebook needs to or Meta needs to do is they, they need to offer you this bargain. Like either you subscribe uh, like $12 a month or something, or you allow us to tailor ads by tracking personal data. Uh, and and once that value bargain, like that, it arises to the surface, it becomes visible, right? It's it's a conscious choice. And I had this roundtable in one of my uh, uh, data ethics classes, and which it was kind of an international group. and the, the Indians thought, like, oh, that's that's the first world problem right there. Yeah. Like, we don't have food on our table. So but you you white guys, you discussed that for a while. Uh, and you had the Polish guy who said, Well, that's a crazy amount of money. I could never like that. I'm I'm basically forced. I'm forced on board. Uh and I like living in Sweden and working in IT, I I have I have the choice like from a monetary, but then again, it's like well, this is the cost of Netflix for something I already got for free, versus my dignity, <laughs> more or less. And I ended up just quitting Facebook overnight. <laughs> that's where where it ended up. Right? But I think that's and that's the the thing now. Like the the blitz scaling at a loss. Like the, the part of the Y Combinator playbook is they they give away their product for free. To get us to market it and use it and adopt it and write books about how, how amazing it is, but they're running the whole thing at a loss, right? So the that the tax man cometh, right? So sooner or later it's gonna cost you. Um, and I, I think that it's really easy to sleepwalk at scale into a situation where you can no longer backpedal your way out, right?
0: So. Yeah, that's a very it's an interesting point that you bring up, which is that is there going to be a reckoning with the cost of the inference because uh GPU is very expensive mm-hmm. you know there's some you know there's some speculation that actually it's a incredible loss of money and so in order for them to uh really capitalize on it first they have to they they have it's called vulture capitalism is another way people have mm-hmm. said this where you or predatory capitalism mm-hmm. where you you basically do predatory pricing and You you undercut the competition for a long time and you're always at a loss and then you just run them out of business and then and then you just jack up the prices. So the reason why, if you look at some of the things that are happening with Microsoft, where like everything's copilot now, you know, like chat GPT, everything everywhere is that they they may actually have to do this because if they don't get enough users, they don't get enough scale. They they may have actually lost a substantial amount of money because GPU
1: inference is just incredibly expensive. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, yeah, we saw the numbers uh, uh, pretty recently. Like Copilot, they charge you like ten bucks a month, I think, and depending on how much you use it, because it it doesn't scale with usage, unlike Midjourney and some others, they they charge you per GPU hour more or less, right? But Copilot doesn't, so depending on if you use it a lot or a little, uh, it costs them between 30 and 80 bucks to per month to deliver it to you. So they do run it at a loss, um, and, and that's how the big guys stay on top, right? And it's the same with Amazon, all the like in the startup scene, you talk about the kill zone, you don't enter anything adjacent to what Amazon or Microsoft do, right? Because they will just price you out they, they will just run you in like diapers.com is a, is the classical example i think where it, it, somebody found it, it like the brilliant and not might not be the most unique idea in the world to sell diapers online but still they found a the niche and it worked out for them and amazon say, oh nice profit margin let's let's destroy it <laughs> and they just ran it into the ground right because they wouldn't sell to them I, I think they got the offer and then they might have gotten the offer again right so uh, yeah, if you have a pile of cash, you can basically get your way. <laughs> Just burn it.
0: So, so to, I guess to to uh, maybe summarize, then uh, you know the the key the key issues here are that the yeah. tech companies have been doing really the same playbook for quite some time. There's lots of examples of it. This generative AI, uh, you know, mm. claiming fair use when it's pretty obvious to even a three-year-old that th- this is taking uh, intellectual property that was created by really hard-working and vulnerable people and monetizing it without their permission i think that's really the the gist of the issue
1: yeah if you look at like the data licensing is a thing right you can buy data um and and somehow that doesn't appear in aipr it's like oh it's a magical resource it looks at it somehow but there's there is a market there is a price for data right for training data and and it, so the There's not a business case if they have to pay. That's basically what Mark and Reason went out and says. We've spent billions. If we have to pay for the data as well, we don't have a business, more or less. Um, And the way it works out with stable diffusion, it's now, I think they retired two of the models yesterday after having run them for a year. These are research models. They're not licensed for commercial use, Uh, but what happened is everyone built services on top and started selling the images out of Stable Diffusion over this year. Like, and, and that serves to to dump the prices for their training data. That's the, that's the key resource uh, that they can't afford. And if they flood the market with with pirate material, and, and Adobe starts selling Stable Diffusion outputs, uh, that like that you can spit out ten thousand images. So on the course of a day and start selling them right so they dump the prices for their key resource that's really what they're doing um so they have a better bargaining position when they do start licensing data that's my view at least yeah and
0: i think in terms of the uh coding space uh, there's a lot of also claims about how effective the tools are, and, and I think they're they're I definitely have used Copilot quite a bit. I switched to C- Code Whisper from AWS, which mm-hmm. doesn't have the baggage of uh, of Copilot, and I think they're they're good. But I, I also don't think that it's like a slam dunk. And in fact, even uh, Copilot, they'll admit that it's good for the the low level. But mm. at an expert level, it's diminishing returns. Like there's some use cases for it, but if you're an expert, it, there's less of a use case. So I think that's another kind of aspect of this as well as that, you know, kind of these. In, like I know people. I, I worked in film for for years. I know a lot of people who are or artists, and their talent is amazing. Right? They they have they have mm. deep talent that took decades to produce what i see when i see something from generative ai like a you know graphic or you know something some pictures that were generated i don't really think this was a master that created this right this feels
1: like uh really uh commodity it's it's generic and uh, there are people who do amazing things If, if you're an artist you can make it express your personal voice I do believe that and there are examples but I think most of it most of the users have it as a lazy shortcut and I I think your example for code translates quite well to text and images as well that this is a hyper shortcut to halfway which is revolutionary if, if you're at the low end of the scale and not so useful if, if you're at the higher end of the scale. Maybe it saves you some drudge work right now and then, so you can skip a few steps. Uh, but that also has downsides. right? There's the apprenticeship. Uh, what, what happens, like if all the junior tasks that you would use for practice, if you use the bot to do that instead, uh, then there's a, an element of of human learning uh, that gets lost as well. right? Um, and so and there's that and the, there's also the uh, kind of if we look at the value contract for the open source community it's all based on kind of attribution is key like building a name and for yourself getting credit for the work you've done even though you might not get the direct monetary reward right um, and also there's like social control you can sort of know that this guy over here he usually does this thing really well so let let's have that one and learn from it right um, and and what all of these systems do is they they cut off the head they remove the attribution right uh, and they round off the some rights reserved which I mean Creative Commons and, and foss licensing. there's so many nuances like you can, you can pick and choose what rights to reserve right by choosing another license. but they all have some rights reserved and the way copilot and all the others do it they, they kind of round that down to none whatsoever they strip away the human and th- then they can strip away the rights and they can still use the, the code
0: yeah I, I think i think that 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 is something that so a few different things about that you just mentioned I'll i'll touch on so because i teach new students how mm-hmm. to code I have recommended they use Generative AI to help them code. But one thing that I've I've found out is that it does seem like, as you mentioned, the apprenticeship part is missing because mm-hmm. when I first teach someone how to code, I say, you need to make a hundred mistakes per week. Yeah. Right. That's your metric. If you're not mm-hmm. making 100 mistakes per week, you're not learning. So it, when they use uh, generative AI tools, they're not making 100 mistakes per week. Right. So now, actually, not that the, the, the generative AI is bad, it's that you you are actually not learning it now, and so that's a real problem. So that that is, I think, a deep issue that needs to be addressed. The second part mm-hmm. we mentioned, which is, yeah, the stripping of the rights of code. So a lot of the code examples have uh, hundreds of repos in GitHub. I've put uh, creative commons non-commercial for mm-hmm. years. And the reason I do that is that I don't want to create this really deep example for something and then someone just steals it, puts it into a video somewhere, and then makes money off of the thing that I've created. <laughs> right? Like,
1: I mean... Exa- essentially, exactly what happened,
0: right? <laughs> right. And so, so you know, I think that, that issue of not respecting the rights of the people on the GitHub platform. I think this is a very big mistake and I've been talking to some other competitors to GitHub and they've they said, well, you know, what are your complaints with GitHub? And I said, well, it's a loss of trust because yeah. initially when GitHub was created, it was this uh, almost like a utopia, you know, like a like a, you know, a commune where everyone's sharing ideas and sharing everything and they're creating open source products and but then if you just steal everything and yeah. get rid of all the licensing why can i ever trust you again yeah i think yeah. that i think that's a real I, I think this is a real doomsday scenario for companies like github is that did you just blow yourself up
1: yeah and the, the same goes for ArtStation and and a few other places DeviantArt, they, they do have gotten themselves into a huge trust issue and and i think like Everyone understands at some level there's no free lunch, right? They hosted my code for free. That's that's great, but the the value you got from trading code on top it was so great that you it, it didn't think about it. And and I think it was kind of implicit and assumed, same as with the social platforms, that there's there's a value contract here saying that if I keep posting stuff, I might not make a living, uh, but I attract attention to the platform, right? I attract new customers, new users that eventually buy some freemium ladder they will pay even if they don't pay today. I also attract attention, they can sell for eyeballs, they can sell for ads, right? And and you thought, well, okay, so that's the deal, right? I I, I give and I get, and they get something. And I, it's, it sucks that I don't get the cut on the ad sales, but that's, I don't care, right? Twitter does the, the, you do get the cut and it's still no money. But uh, And then when you introduce generative AI into the picture, you change the value contract. It's a rug pull. It, 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 this mutual interchange of uh, learning and trading and, and sharing that was thrown out. Now it's like we took this and we sell it to you.
0: <laughs> and, and the there, if you ever go to business school, the the classic story they tell you is about uh, game theory and all these different scenarios. And you know the the one that's the most classic of all game theory is is the um, is is the uh, the the commons, right? Where you know basically the tragedy of the commons is that let's say you get. A thousand acres of grass, and then you let all of the ranchers, there's six ranchers, all mm. graze on the grass for free. What's the first thing that happens? Is one uh rancher goes in and goes, Wait a second, I don't trust everybody, so I'm just going to eat all the grass and kill all the grass. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's the classic.
1: And, and the, the, I like to end this it's the tragedy of the unmanaged commons, right? It's uh, it's the unregulated commons. If the commons is regulated, that's right. Formalized enforcement of of the reciprocity, then it is so it's not inherent to the commons. It's inherent to a deregulated or unregulated commons, right? Um, and that's the thing here. There's this silent, implicit value contract uh, that's been ripped apart, but you can't really point to it and say, "Hey, that's what I signed up for," because it doesn't really say in the in your terms of use, right? Uh, it's it's sort of Implicit, like everyone does it, uh, and these are the terms, and then suddenly they aren't anymore, and you you don't, and then what the only thing you have to refer back to is your fundamental rights, right to to property and liberty and and privacy and so on. Um, so then, yeah it's a it's a bad situation but, but i think they messed with the wrong community i mean the the open source community was one of the first class action lawsuits and they're they're it's chugging along nicely right it's nine billion us dollars in damages and a, a bunch of anons, if i rec- recall correctly it's not even any uh, any real names on the lawsuit and they tried to throw it out on cause of that uh, and but the judge let it roll on and i, I think it's going to a discovery now yeah, right
0: well, well i think i think the things that i think are are troubling for organizations that are using generative ai is that if a large corporation like microsoft github are saying don't worry open ai when you get sued we will protect mm-hmm. you no yeah. that's not a great way to really advertise your business that seems to be terrible right i mean why would you? Yeah start using a product where you have to actually uh, be protected from a a lawsuit and then the second part of it as i mentioned the brand reputation is that if they're in discovery are emails that are smoking guns that say you know basically the the people in charge of the the companies doing the generative ai knowingly said let's do illegal things Mm. and then you're using their products and you've co-branded with that that's a very bad uh public relations hit for your company Mm. yeah
1: and and i mean the whole indemnity thing like when they they go out and say hey we'll cover your legal fees uh that's not new or unique to to generative ai it was established practice within stock photography too for instance like you, you had because it's a little bit tricky to navigate, and you can misstep. So they said, "Well, as long as you abide by our rules, we'll make sure that you, you know, in case of a slip up, it's on us, right?" But what we've seen this year is every big tech company doing the same thing and saying, "So they're basically admitting we have a data sourcing problem here, we have an intellectual property problem, uh, and we're doing like the next well." Best thing to just leaving pushing the liability downstream onto you, and we're saying it's on us. But you still saying this problem exists; (laughs) it's a big thing, and it's a lot cheaper for them to do that than actually license the content. So that's that's why they do it, right? Um, But it's uh, it's marginally less worse than Midjourney that say, well, if you use this in a way that costs us money, then we'll come and get the money from you. (laughs) It's your your problem. (laughs) That's their way of doing it, right? yeah it's basically what they're doing is is saying these are the new rules you own what the computer makes the computer made it it's yours now and we have the money to back it up that's what they're saying right um so it's it's really coherent i would say like the philosophy of well the robots god mind here it's the origin of this or so either you who prompted it you made it or the robot made it the ones who actually wrote the code back there sorry guys <laughs> you're not part of it and and that that's on in every step of the way right uh, um, also in in how they do their ter- terms of service well,
0: well i think this is where the the data poisoning starts to become very interesting because if that's really true and you're then then what happens is that Uh, there's now an incentive to create very sophisticated data poisoning systems that subtly corrupts the whole training process and essentially destroy the ability to ingest this and then if Mm -hmm. your company is saying that it didn't matter nothing you created mattered why are you telling me that i shouldn't data poison like for uh, for example i actually asked uh, anthropic the um the chatbot about uh, data poisoning when it first came out and it was very interesting because someone put some very detailed information about data poisoning in there and it said no no that's very unethical to do data poisoning i said wait what if you broke into my house and stole a hard drive and indexed it that's still unethical It's like no that's not (laughs) you you broke into my house and you stole the hard drive that's you're unethical you stole something you know like i think i think that's a very interesting
1: uh yeah uh, you have all these obviously paid shields going out claiming to be i don't know tech philosophers or whatever saying oh well this will usher in an era of abundance so Property rights are imaginary anyway, and but it, it's funny how it's always about the little guys' rights, right? It's never about OpenAI source code. <laughs> That's not what they're referring yeah. to. That's still a valid application of intellectual property, apparently. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, well, exactly? What would happen if if you you know if if the the source code, the training methods, and the data were all leaked to mm-hmm. OpenAI? Do you think they would just say, "Oh, uh, well, now it's for use. Everybody can." Yeah.
1: <laughs> no it's uh it's very asymmetrical the whole thing it it really is um well yeah. uh we'll see how how long they get away with it i mean sooner or later reality catches up there's over 150 lawsuits and regulatory probes and national bans and whatever so it it keeps mounting up and that's i think even before the major book publishers and news publishers have gotten anything off the, the ground they move more slowly uh, maybe you saw new york times and uh, last week they pulled out of common crawl so they took all of their old articles out of uh, the the original big mama web scraper that uses that's used in all the search engines right um, because again the value contract flipped right it used to be good for discovery and good for search and now it's being used to replace you then it's like i don't even care about search (laughs) just give me back my content right um well
0: yeah and what's interesting about the you know what what could happen as well with search is that you know i could see a scenario where actually search goes away uh if essentially the whole internet is in some model why would you need to use a search engine anymore right it's the data's there right the the links are there you know and so that that also you know could be an interesting surprise factor is that this is what i suspect is going to happen is that all profit will lead to zero meaning that in perfect competition basically there's no way to make money and if and as open source gets further and further along it may be the case that actually there is no profit margin there's Mm -hmm. nothing and even it could destroy existing companies like google could just cease to exist and so that's it that's kind of a very interesting one i haven't heard a lot of people Mm -hmm. talk about but this is the doomsday scenario is that everything you invested into generative ai disappears because there's no profit second Mm -hmm. if you're a search engine being google you also exist so this was something that happened with uh, craigslist right Mm -hmm. when craigslist came out they just destroyed multiple industries and it, why because it was free same with linux linux yeah. destroyed actually solaris server which was a very high-end unix server i used to use back in you know late 90s early 2000s destroyed it it's gone yeah. windows gone like i mean and and so that is that's a, i think a scenario that people should at least be aware of is that that this idea that like you're gonna you know use some paid commercial generative ai service and it's going to be disruptive etc like first of all everybody's got access to it yeah. second there's ruthless competition among mm-hmm. many vendors and open source it's possible in 5 years the entire thing just just vanishes and some companies go out of business
1: yeah but where will the gpu cost be in 5 years do you think
0: I mean this uh, well i think what could happen is that the gpu is is really maybe goes away because the GPU is accidentally used for uh, machine learning. Uh, GPU is a graphics processing unit, and so there's really no reason we should be using it for mm-hmm. deep learning. And and really, the next generation of chips uh, are specifically designed for doing both training and inference. So I think what's probably going to happen as well is that. Everybody's computers will have uh, more and more specialized chips. Like Apple has some of this. Like if you if you go to the Apple iPhone, the mm. iPhone has these A chips inside of them oh, yeah. uh, here, mm. and the, it's a special chip for, mm. for doing inference. So I, I right. think likely the the short
1: term GPU thing will just go away. Right, and, and 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 really, my point was about the inference. Like the, the, there's rapidly dropping costs on the hardware side. Yeah. Right. But there's some other cost that's not likely to go away, but I, I think we see radical drops in in energy use and and so on as well. So so there it might be the way I interpret it, how they're they're doing it now, it's a race for mind share and sticking and then it's kind of hanging in there until the costs drop uh, and and the others drop out. Uh, but it's also about it's an infrastructure play right you want to stake your claim at the bottom of the stack so the the others have to build their stuff on top of yours um and that that's clearly outspoken by by uh, uh, a stack for instance he says this is a pure infrastructure play we give the foundation model away for free we get an ecosystem of developers and then we have our own stuff on top that's that's how we how we roll and we saw that last week with altman doing the the whole GPT thing on top of, of his model, right? Um, so it's a it's a renter model where where everyone pays the the guy who uh, has the biggest dev share and and, and user share and uh, market share. Um so
0: yeah, th- th- I agree. I mean I, I think that's how VCs think is they they um they're they're really that's that's basically their only idea. You know, I've I've actually worked with a lot of VCs in the Bay Area. And it's really not a lot of i i would say deep thinkers it's all about um how do I actually become the middleman that's mm. every single company is how do I actually add zero value and take things
1: out of the transaction yeah 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 and the that's the middleman. Is not necessarily what the world needs more of, right? That's that. It, it's the tech we're interested in, the LLMs, are there's so many ways you can you can build a system, you can architect it without having everything going overseas to a guy who collects rent,
0: right? Well, in well, and, and the what, and that's why I'm saying in in five, ten years, it's possible there's the everything vanishes in terms of profit. Here's a good example. If you look at the Last 20 years of technology, you know, what would if, if you had to ask me what was one of the greatest technology inventions, it'd probably be something no one would say. I would say Wikipedia. Mm. Wikipedia is one of the best things that has been invented in technology, it's mostly yeah. just good, mm. uh, it's a high quality source of information and it's free. It's and it actually competes with things like you know commercial uh, encyclopedias. Mm. Why wouldn't wikipedia get into the llm game why wouldn't libraries get into the llm game why Mm -hmm. wouldn't a lot of these public good companies start to develop things based on ethical source data and what would that actually do to these for-profit companies i i really feel like this is what's happening with all vc products is they pump 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 because you know you got to go ipo once you go IPO, good example of this is actually Terraform. Terraform mm-hmm. is a infrastructure as a service company, and they got a lot of people hooked on their product because they said, well, we're cross cloud. So then they go IPO, guess what happens? Well, first of all, people dump the stock, they get out, they make the money. So who cares? They won. And then the next thing they do is, by the way, it's not open source anymore. Actually, right. in all the stuff you produced, it's ours now, right? So <laughs> it, like the, 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 is this going to be the same, Playbook. I mean, yeah, you know, in the short term, I think companies are going to just pump, pump, pump. And even if you're an employee, and you're you're using, let's say, OpenAI, and you're at Microsoft or GitHub, I mean, you get RSUs. So RSUs are worth actual money. So potentially, people are even being incentivized. Hey, here we go. Here's more stock. Here's more stock. Great, great. Let's get it. And like, what do you care, right? Like, if you if you can just dump, you know, five hundred thousand dollars worth of Microsoft stock. And make some money off it who cares if it even helps users yeah. you know, if if the company goes bankrupt you made some money
1: yeah 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 i mean yeah it, it's a the sort or what they are and then and then how the how it's used not so interesting as well like Andreessen going all in on the techno optimist thing and and so Andreessen is i don't know how many other investors there are but there's five million us dollars behind Civitai, and civitai they commercialize a research model uh, they, they make money off top of a, a non-profit a kind of allegedly non-profit uh, stable diffusion model uh, and they use their capital to do price competitions uh they tell their users to go out and find good artists to copy the style from Uh, and they have a bounty system for deep fake porn as well so they they kind of pay uh users to go out and and steal as much as they can um in terms of breaching integrity and intellectual property and they have some justification for why why those rights don't exist or don't matter, and they like nominally they're DMCA compliant, like they're saying we're a neutral platform. Whatever happens on here, that's uh, between the the users and whoever gets infringed. But they do sponsor them to <laughs> do the thing and publish their models, right? Um, so it's I, I think it's interesting how that the again back to the point that they're they're dumping the market for content online they're kind of strip mining for content like putting min- money behind taking property and laundering the rights away from it and, and publishing models on top of a reach research model um, well it, it,
0: it, I think Andreessen is is uh, been on my radar for a bit because I I listened to a podcast a long-form podcast with Sam Harris where he was on there and i was pretty disappointed actually with sam harris who s- sometimes can give thoughtful podcasts and 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 he didn't really challenge Andreessen anything he said and one of the things that Andreessen said was the reason that i got a degree in computer science was i just wanted to make money and i was yeah. like wow well, at least he's honest is that yeah. that's what his only value in the world is making money and then you know i think the thing that you you hear him really lacking clarity on is when you mention any kind of a negative externality and i think it might have even come up in the podcast just silence nothing then the answer is like i just don't care right like i don't care and and uh-huh. you know it, i think that's really the the if you get down to it if you look at things like crypto you mm-hmm. know there's no business use case other than laundering money to north korea or mm-hmm. iran or terrorists right that that's the business model right i mean mm-hmm. is it providing a way that people that are under sanctions or criminals you know cartels can actually give money to each other obviously it kills the environment as well and then Mm. these major vcs are backing platforms like this and so is it any surprise that that we're seeing the same kind of behavior with generative AI? no
1: no i mean yeah it's a it's a tragedy (laughs) Really, it is. Uh, what to say? What to say? It's a sad note to to end on. I feel like we're, we're approaching the end of the conversation. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Like Just, uh, yeah. It's a sad state.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that 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 that, that is a great place to end on. Is, is, uh, it's that <laughs> we're we're in some trouble
1: yeah so, it's going to get worse
0: yeah and i, and I think it could so yeah. maybe a good thing for for you to do because you're going to be introduced to i think a new audience is you have a lot of thoughts on this topic yeah. do you want to tell people how to follow some of your thoughts and where to get a sure. hold
1: of you? yeah so so i do my angry old man routine on linkedin regularly i got my first notice for having like be used the wrong language today <laughs> I, I probably owe someone an apology um, and I, I got thrown out of all the ai art groups and all the social medias by now so uh, but I I, I I do some long form thinking on on substack as well i try to post every week uh, kind of a wrap up of the latest things and, and my thoughts on that uh, so linkedin and substack uh, look me up by name you want see a so Joe and CB and uh, and you, I, I'll drop the B in it, but you have it on your screen now um yeah that, that's it and I yeah do reach out and uh, I, I like to discuss the pros and cons and I'm, I'm very tired of some of the pro AI uh, talking points by now and I try to uh, kind of debunk them wholesale uh, <laughs> at, at times on my blog so if you feel like you've you've answered the same, Pro AI talking point the millionth time. Go visit my blog and find the copy paste r-
0: response. Yeah. yeah, I mean I'm I'm in AI. I wrote a book called Pragmatic AI. Like I'm into yeah. AI. <laughs> I teach AI, but I yeah. think you, your opinion is very well
1: framed and I think it's worth considering. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me again. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah.